Well, now we know the answer. Eli Manning is officially washed. We've asked this question over and over and over again on this show. Many guests have come through, and we've asked each one. Is Eli Manning washed? Is Eli Manning washed? Is Eli Manning washed? And the answer was yes. So the New York Giants were the last organization, the last entity to figure this out. It's been fairly obvious this season that Eli Manning is washed, even when Odell Beckham Jr. was healthy. It was very difficult to evaluate Eli Manning over the last two weeks without even Sterling Shepard. So when your number one wide receiver is Roger Lewis, a player I like, but still an undrafted second-year player from a small school, that's your number one receiver. And your number two receiver was a street-free agent not long ago, Tavares King. Your tight end is a rookie, a rookie tight end, and you're throwing the ball to Orleans Darkwa out of the backfield. That's just not a recipe for success. So it's all on you as a quarterback. And at 37 years old, you can't put it all on Eli Manning. That's not a recipe for success. That's why the Giants are currently a laughing stock. But I agree with them benching Eli Manning. It's over. It's over. Why the shock? I'm looking at my Twitter timeline and just shocked faced emojis and exclamation points. Like, really? Really? I've been stashing Geno Smith in multiple two-quarterback Superflex leagues because you can't play bad forever. And Geno Smith is one of the above-average backup quarterbacks in the league. If you had to stack-rank the backup quarterbacks across the league, Geno Smith would be in the top 10. So why wouldn't they bench Eli Manning and try Geno Smith? Who would be surprised if Geno Smith plays better than Eli Manning, especially when Geno Smith gets the benefit of returning Sterling Shepard if he can get over his migraines? I mean, Sterling Shepard's missed two weeks with migraines. I've never heard of that, but that's where we are with the New York Giants. So I think the Geno Smith success, if it materializes, will likely correlate with the return of Sterling Shepard. And I think in that case, correlation does imply causation. Because I don't think Geno Smith is particularly good. But if your number one option is Sterling Shepard, then your number two option is Roger Lewis. That's much more tenable. So I'm excited to see what Geno Smith can do. I am. They're going to be losing a negative game script. And Geno Smith offers mobility. Don't be surprised when you go to the playerprofiler.com lineup optimizer, our DFS lineup genius, and you see Geno Smith in multiple lineups. He runs a 4-5-9. He's only 27 years old, so his athleticism is intact. His best comparable player on player profiler is Derek Carr. The difference between Derek Carr and Geno Smith is not nearly as wide as the average NFL fan might believe. I'm not saying it's close, but it's closer than you might think. So he can score touchdowns in the red zone with his legs. He has the arm strength to throw the ball down the field. And he's been efficient when called upon in spots throughout his career. That's Geno Smith. Because we know what Eli Manning is. Eli Manning can't play. Now, the high-level efficiency metrics indicate Eli Manning is one of the league's worst starting quarterbacks. He has a negative 6.6 production premium, which is our per-attempt efficiency metric above or below expectation. 25th in the league. True passer rating, 93.0, which factors in drops, number 23 in the league. Total QBR, 42.7, 25th in the league. Now, his receivers are doing him no favors. He's number one in receiver drops. 38 drop passes Eli Manning has experienced this year. That's a lot. 
but his adjusted yards per attempt, which gives him credit for only having seven interceptions, it's only 5.6. That's 27th in the league. But those aren't the primary indictments. It's the deep ball completion percentage, 21.4%, 35th in the league, and the pressured completion percentage, 28%, 26th in the league. So he's lost his ability to throw the ball past 20 yards with accuracy, and he's lost his ability to navigate the pocket and release passes on time when pressured. So if you can't navigate a collapsing pocket in the NFL, and you can't complete one out of four of your deep ball attempts, you can't be a starting quarterback in the NFL, and the Giants are the last to figure this out. Thank God they did, because now we have an opportunity to start Geno Smith. Yes! I will be starting him in leagues. You bet. You bet. I'm in a two-quarterback dynasty league where I'm starting Deshaun Kaiser. You can bet I'll be rolling with Geno Smith in week 13. Now, we complain all the time about the other fantasy football podcasts just droning on, going through the box scores on Mondays. I love the shows that drop on Monday. Always get a chuckle out of those Monday morning shows. Like, what kind of analysis are you capable of on Monday? It takes at least a day for me to process everything that happened on Sunday. We have 16 games, hundreds of players, and you're going to wake up on Monday morning and sit in front of a microphone and speak intelligently about what just happened? Free of any in-depth consideration? (laughs) What is that? I often don't do a show on Tuesday because I need more time to think. But every Monday morning, I wake up and here's a couple fantasy football podcasts in my queue. And I just give myself a little chuckle. (laughs) Won't be listening to these episodes. Just useless droning freelance analysis on Monday morning. No thanks. So we mock the shows that just go through the upcoming schedule. And we mock the shows that just go through the previous weekend's box scores. Until today. Until today. Because week 12 was fun. I keep going back to these week 12 box scores. Scrolling through with a smile, with a wide grin. And I want to share this enthusiasm with you. We are going to do the first and probably last Roto Underworld Radio box score review show. (laughs) Yeah, a Tuesday box score review show. Because a Monday morning box score review show would be an affront to your sensibilities and desire for quality, in-depth content. So I understand that. This is being recorded Tuesday afternoon after I have sufficiently allowed the week 12 performances to wash over me and three extra days to analyze those Thanksgiving games. So we are in a unique position to review the week 12 box scores and provide some actual insight. Imagine that. I think we can. Off we go. Enjoyed that Vikings-Lions game. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Adam Thielen, what a feeling. Adam Thielen added again, eight catches, 89 yards on 11 targets. It's official. Adam Thielen is the Vikings' go-to receiver. He's their number one option. He is number one on that target totem pole. It's not Stephon Diggs. Like, that's a fact. It's taken me many weeks to come to terms with this reality, but it is a reality. It's, it's over. Adam Thielen has won the number one wide receiver chair on that Vikings offense. And all we can do is tip our cap. I mean, I put on a cap today knowing I would be tipping it just for Adam Thielen. You also have to tip your cap to Case Keenum. It just so happens that Case Keenum is good at playing quarterback. And we knew this when he finished 
seventh in the Heisman voting in 2011 and eighth in the Heisman voting in 2009. That's because in his final two seasons at Houston, he posted 5,671 yards on 8.1 yards per attempt and then 5,631 yards on 9.3 yards per attempt. Case Keenum posted 20,000 passing yards and over 150 touchdowns in college. One of the most prolific college passers of all time. So why is anyone surprised that he's playing well at the next level? I mean, why are you surprised? He started his career in the same town where he started his college career, Houston, with the Texans, backing up Matt Schaub. And when called upon in Houston, he was efficient and posted some above-average performances week to week. He was very usable in fantasy football. I remember Case Keenum not being bad in Houston. A young Case Keenum was very usable. And then he goes to St. Louis, that Jeff Fisher, St. Louis purgatory. That's where he was trapped. You blame him for playing poorly? See what Jared Goff did last year with Jeff Fisher? (laughs) So why can't we extend the same courtesy to Case Keenum? (laughs) It's on with Case Keenum. Case Keenum will be a top 10 option the rest of the way on the playerprofiler.com seasonal rankings. Why? Because of the supporting cast. He is elevated by his supporting cast, and he himself is better than the generic sports fan who just scoffs at the name Case Keenum for no reason can comprehend. And yes, I believe that Sean McVay is an upgrade for Jared Goff. I do. I absolutely do. I think that coaching matters, but I'm always amused when football fans run off to the extreme, mocking Case Keenum out in the extremes for no reason, mocking Geno Smith out in the extremes for no reason, while at the same time concluding that Sean McVay is one of the best coaches of all time because he fixed Jared Goff and he fixed Todd Gurley. He didn't fix anybody. He installed a more contemporary offense, which created an environment where Jared Goff and Todd Gurley were more likely to succeed. That's true. He helped. He helped them on the margins. He wasn't the primary force behind the Rams' offensive renaissance. No. No. That is a correlation trap. Classic correlation trap. Well, let's find the most obvious thing that changed and attribute the reason for the success to that one new thing, the coach. The coach is new. The biggest change is Jared Goff's evolution that would have happened with or without Sean McVay because rookie quarterbacks experience tremendous growth from year one to year two. Look back historically. No other position shows the efficiency growth that quarterbacks do from year one to year two. And that can make all the difference for the running backs, the wide receivers, the tight ends. All members of the offense are helped when the quarterback play improves. The quarterback is the tide that lifts all boats on offense. But instead of honing the focus in on Jared Goff and the offensive line, and Todd Gurley, he's playing better, clearly. Instead of training our eyes on the players on the field that are actually sacrificing their bodies to acquire real estate, to get first downs and eventually touchdowns and win football games, instead of focusing on their contributions, their ability, their effort, instead we're attributing the success to a person who's not playing. It's just asinine. You read these tweets about Sean McVay. I would follow Sean McVay into a burning building. What the fuck are you talking about? You're only saying that because he's winning. He's spouting the same cliches and platitudes that all winning coaches spew. 
in the locker room after a big victory. It's the same nonsense rhetoric. We gotta fight, we gotta believe, blah, 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 blah. It would sound the same coming from another coach if that coach were soaked in winning. But so many football fans are so gullible. I think football is more susceptible to this than other sports because there's less advanced metrics and analytics permeating the sport of football. You get more narrative-driven analysis, more lazy writers, lazy sportscasters, falling back on these baseless crutch narratives. Maddening, man. How many new it coaches have to fail for this lesson to be internalized? I mean, how many? Every coach, every year, multiple it coaches come along, not named Bill Belichick, because we have one. There's one model breaker. There's one rule of thumb exception to all of our precepts. In the case of coach worshiping, the exception is Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has sustained an excellence over a period of time that I think has sufficiently proven his ability to manage a franchise and to implement schemes that are above league average. I will say that definitively about Bill Belichick and about no other coach, including Sean McVay. He's played 11 games. And with Jeff Fisher, Todd Gurley experienced an exceptional run of 11 games during his rookie season. And then what? And what? Look at the season the Atlanta Falcons enjoyed in 2016. They flipped a coin and it came up heads 16 times. The most unsustainable offensive efficiency we've seen in years. And those that were buying the Devontae Freemans and Matt Ryans in Dynasty were marks. And those claiming Sean McVay is the primary reason for this Rams offensive resurgence are gullible. They are being influenced by analysts who don't know what they're watching and do not understand how to measure performances. Player Profiler exists to shine a spotlight on the players that are actually accruing the yardage, actually scoring the touchdowns to take the attention away and the analysis away from the crutch coach-based narratives that are a plague on sports analysis. Follow Sean McVay in a burning building. The fuck are you talking about? Follow Adam Gaze into a burning building? Gonna follow Kyle Shanahan into a burning building? Ben McAdoo was the big hit coach. He fixed Eli Manning. Gonna follow him into a burning building? Bill O'Brien, he coached under Belichick. Gonna follow him? Where's Mark Tressman right now? He headed into a burning building? Mike McCoy just got fired in Denver. He was the it coach in San Diego not long ago. I'm not worshiping Sean McVay because I have a memory that works. And when I look at Matthew Stafford's stat line, 250 yards, one touchdown, one interception, I attribute that performance primarily to Matthew Stafford, not Jim Bob Cooter. Matthew Stafford has been Matthew Stafford his whole career. The big difference is Matthew Stafford has seasons with Calvin Johnson and without Calvin Johnson. That's the big differentiator between Matt Stafford's seasons, not the presence of Jim Bog fucking Cooter. And when you're looking at this box score on Thanksgiving for the Detroit Lions, you just throw your hands up in the air. Like, how did Marvin Jones do it? Marvin Jones posted 109 yards and two touchdowns while being guarded by Xavier Rhodes. I thought all roads were closed. Apparently not Marvin Jones Avenue. <laughs> Marvin Jones is the number one wide receiver on the Lions. It is not Golden Tate. Golden Tate's a slot receiver. He's one of the best slot receivers in the league. Top 10 slot receiver. One of the league's signature yak monsters. But when you rely on yak, as opposed to air yards, you are susceptible to the four catches on eight targets 
for seven yard performances. That's not something that Marvin Jones is susceptible to. Now, Marvin Jones can be taken away by a defense who's playing a safety over the top, and they give you Golden Tate. Sure, there are one for nine performances on Marvin Jones' statistical profile. I've seen him. But when Marvin Jones can post 109 yards and two touchdowns in a game in which Kenny Galladay played, that was the most encouraging performance of the week. The problem is Marvin Jones plays the Ravens this coming week, and that means he will lock up with Jimmy Smith. And you do not want to lock up with Jimmy Smith. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins can get away with it when he's the focal point of the offense and getting double-digit targets. Not Marvin Jones. He's not DeAndre Hopkins. And Jimmy Smith is top 15 in fantasy points allowed per snap, fantasy points allowed per target, and fantasy points allowed per game. Every fantasy points allowed metric has Jimmy Smith near the top. So I think Marvin Jones is a long shot to continue his weekly WR1 and fantasy streak. And Amir Abdullah, six carries for 14 yards. <laughs> I mean, you need to use that exceptional upper percentile burst and agility to beat premier defenders in the NFL, or you're just a guy. Amir Abdullah looks like a very athletic guy. Now, the San Diego Chargers beat the Cowboys 28-6. Philip Rivers, outstanding. One of the best games of his career. 434 yards, three touchdowns. One to Keenan Allen, one to Hunter Henry, one to Tyrell Williams. The ideal distribution of touchdowns that we love to see in fantasy football. What we don't love to see are the six red zone opportunities for Austin Ekelar. Because in a game in which the Chargers scored 28 points, Melvin Gordon barely crested 10 fantasy points. The big reason why, a lack of touchdowns, because Austin Ekelar was getting the ball in the red zone more frequently than Melvin Gordon, and I think that is a problem. Austin Ekelar is small. Austin Ekelar was a monster producer at a small school in the Midwest. Austin Ekelar is an unheralded upper percentile athlete. Austin Ekelar is a satellite back for the Chargers. Does that remind you of anyone? Anyone come to mind that could be a problem for Melvin Gordon, right? Austin Ekelar is young. He has fresh legs. Danny Woodhead, on the other hand, is 32, and they are playing in similar roles. It's just that Austin Ekelar is on a better offense, and he has more juice. So I think Austin Ekelar will outproduce Danny Woodhead for the rest of the season. And your opportunity to trade for Keenan Allen in Dynasty has vanished. What about Des Bryant? Des Bryant, five targets, three receptions, 37 yards. I continue to hold out hope that Des Bryant can still be Des Bryant. Because it's not like he was ever an explosive downfield playmaker. He's not a guy that wins with downfield separation. He wins by being a bully. Just because he's 29 years old, that doesn't change his approach, his style. I refuse to believe that Des Bryant is washed. I will continue to play Des Bryant. We will continue to have him ranked higher on the playerprofiler.com seasonal rankings throughout the remainder of the season. There will be a cognitive dissonance around playerprofiler.com about Des Bryant because without a running game, I believe the Cowboys will have to throw. Both Prescott and Bryant will enjoy negative game script, which is great for the passing game for the remainder of the season. And I believe fundamentally... Des Bryant has been hugely unlucky. The schedule has been impossible. He's gotten some bad breaks. He's had touchdowns wiped away upon further review. Things will break in Des Bryant's favor before the season is over. Book it. I think we've covered the New York Giants. <laughs> right? <laughs> I played Orleans Darkwa. I played Orleans Darkwa last week. I did. 
He's been consistently scoring 10-plus fantasy points. I, I played him, but then he was outproduced by Wayne Gallman. And now the team is turning to Geno Smith at quarterback. I don't know what to make of Orleans Darkwa. Is Orleans Darkwa the old guard? Should I be worried that they are phasing out Orleans Darkwa like they're phasing out Eli Manning and they want to see what they have in Wayne Gallman? I think that's a real risk. I can't play Orleans Darkwa until I see what his opportunity share looks like post Eli Manning benching. And Samaje Piran is the free square running back we've been waiting for. He was last week, especially looking at that DraftKings pricing for Samaje Piran. Good God, what a value. And Jamison Crowder, yeehaw! This is the Jamison Crowder we touted all offseason. No Terrell Pryor, no Jordan Reed, no Chris Thompson, all the Jamison Crowder. There's a chance that Jamison Crowder reaches double-digit targets each game for the remainder of the season because Washington is a pass-first pass offense. And Jamison Crowder is a target magnet on short and intermediate routes. Why not Jamison Crowder? Why not? Why not? I mean, I like Josh Doxson. He's the second option, but he's a distant second behind Jamison Crowder on that target totem pole. That's the problem. Now, Julio Jones, wow. Julio Jones... You really fucked me, Julio. 250 yards and two touchdowns in the first week of the FFPC playoffs after I've been eliminated? I drafted you in the first round, and you're the reason after Amari Cooper that I'm not in the playoffs. So when the playoffs start, that's the week you decide to go off for 250 yards and two touchdowns? God damn it. Furious. I love you, Julio. And Mohamed Sanu, woo, what a player. Throws for a touchdown. Also catches eight passes for 64 yards. Not a name brand player, right? Most fantasy gamers buy and sell names. And you can win by acquiring the players with great upside that lack brand equity. Like Devin Funchess. You traded for Devin Funchess in Dynasty, didn't you? If you listen to this show, I'm sure you did. And your league mates snickered at you when you did that. Because he lacked brand equity coming out of Michigan and he was underutilized and inefficient his first two seasons. Mohamed Sanu is a great football player and he's logging a high snap share and a high target share. What's not to like? He's just been around a while in the shadow of AJ Green and Julio Jones. That's bad luck that he's been wallowing in the shadow of elite receivers. And now he's 28 years old and he's not particularly fast. He's a possession receiver, but a possession receiver with an 80% snap share in that high-volume Falcons offense can be a very valuable fantasy asset, and that's what Mohamed Sanu is. And it's funny that Ryan Fitzpatrick is making Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson better. They both received double-digit targets, and he's featuring O.J. Howard in the passing game instead of Cameron Brait. So Ryan Fitzpatrick knows what he's doing. He's smart. I bet he went to Harvard. He's so smart. I love OJ Howard moving forward, especially with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center. And I like Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans. There's no reason for Ryan Fitzpatrick to look any further than those three guys. Just like when he was on the Jets and targets were being funneled out to Brandon Marshall, currently played by Mike Evans, and Eric Decker, currently played by Deshaun Jackson. I know that's not a good comp, but I'm trying to draw a goddamn parallel here. Work with me, people. And O.J. Howard is the best tight end that Ryan Fitzpatrick's ever played with. He's better in the passing game and better in the run game than Cameron Brait. So explain to me why Cameron Brait has fantasy value again, because I don't think he does. Cameron Brait truthers, go ahead and fold that robe up, put it in a drawer, and never put it on again. Patriots look good. 
question is, why did it take the Patriots 10 weeks to figure out who their best running backs are? I mean, it's clearly Rex Burkhead, Deion Lewis. And I can handle them in a committee together. I can always handle a two-man committee. It's the three- and four-man committees I have a problem with that are unmanageable in fantasy football. The two-man committees I'm fine with because Rex Burkhead helps you build the lead by catching passes in the red zone and scoring touchdowns. And then Deion Lewis helps you secure the lead by rushing for first downs. That I'm cool with. I'll play them together. I play Deion Lewis and Rex Burkhead on teams. Why not? Why not? Look at Brandon Cooks. Without Chris Hogan, Brandon Cooks is a top 10 wide receiver in fantasy. Another seven targets, 83 yards, one touchdown, super efficient playmaker, and he's playing that queen chess piece role in that Patriots offense we projected him to play. Now when Chris Hogan comes back, things change. I understand that, but he's been out for weeks. I don't expect him back anytime soon. Why would he come back? If his shoulder is fragile and you've already locked up a playoff spot at 9-2, and two, why would the Patriots bring back Chris Hogan too early? That doesn't make sense. I expect him to remain out and Brandon Cooks to continue to excel. And get out of here insisting that the Saints did the right thing. That because they got Ryan Ramjick and he's helping the Saints implement the most efficient running game in the league, that that was somehow a good trade. Get the fuck out of here. When the trade happened, you did not know you would get an above-average, road-grading, run-blocking guard in the NFL. The Saints did not know what they were getting in Ryan Ramjick. Get the hell out of here. Yes, with hindsight, the trade is now closer, but Ryan Ramjick is a guard. Guards have a cap on their value. A guard, even the best guard in the NFL, is not as valuable as a top 10 receiver. Get the hell out of here. And a receiver like Brandon Cooks, who's one of the most versatile playmakers, who can change the course of a game with one stutter step. (laughs) No! No, 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 no. Trading Brandon Cooks at the end of Drew Brees' career was an indictment of an incompetent front office and a betrayal of their team captain and the leader of the team on the field, Drew Brees. Ex post facto rationalizing of a team selling off a high-end asset for 50 cents on the dollar is absurd. That trade was absurd. The front office should have been embarrassed, and the Saints fan base should have been enraged. And Miami fans should be enraged. Look at this performance. 35-17, but the team was never in it. But Jarvis Landry continues to be the target leader and a PPR asset. I mean, I'm wrong about Jarvis Landry. Every year I'm wrong. He's inefficient. The team continues to feed him. And the volume continues to render me wrong. And I'm very fortunate to have traded away Devontae Parker at his peak earlier in the season in multiple dynasty leagues. Because no wide receiver's dynasty value is evaporating more quickly than Devontae Parker's. His fantasy value has been vaporized in a month. I mean, in fiction, it would be difficult for me to weave a scenario, a fictional scenario, in which a player gets elevated to a level where he's being valued as one of the elite young receivers in the league to a month later, his price is illiquid. A month from now, he could be a throw-in in deals. That's where we're headed with Devontae Parker. And in Cleveland, Corey Coleman looked good. Eight targets, only three receptions though. But eight targets for Corey Coleman. I know Josh Gordon is athletic. I know he has a spectacular season on his resume, but I don't think Josh Gordon was ever as explosive as Corey Coleman is right now. So this idea that Josh Gordon will command a larger target share than Corey Coleman in Week 13, 
I'm not buying it. I think Corey Coleman is the target leader moving forward in Cleveland, even with Josh Gordon and Joe Mixon. <laughs> oh, Joe Mixon. He showed us, right? He showed us why we've been saying Joe Mixon is one of the most explosive and versatile backs in the NFL. He's like Voltron. Combine Le'Veon Bell's patience with Ezekiel Elliott's size and speed. LaDainian Tomlinson's pass-catching ability. We combine to form Joe Mixon Voltron. Joe Mixon finally enjoyed some positive game script against the Browns, and he ended up commanding more than 20 carries for the first time all season. And the Bengals fed one of their best playmakers for the first time. Amazing how that works, huh? Wow, look at that. 114 yards and a touchdown, 5.0 yards per carry, another 51 yards in the passing game. And it's not like the Cleveland defense is weak against the run. They're not. They're stout against the run. Didn't matter with Joe Mixon. Why? Because he's trucking defenders. He's sliding around defenders. He is elusive and he wins in all phases. A couple weeks ago, Joe Mixon's valuation was a fraction of Leonard Fournette's. Now I think they're equivalent. It just adds it's difficult to weave a fictional scenario that rivals the collapse of Devontae Parker's dynasty value. It's equally difficult to weave a scenario in which a player's value rises faster than Joe Mixon's dynasty value at this moment in time. It's amazing. And with the Titans, they need to feed Derrick Henry. Enough DeMarco Murray. Derrick Henry, 6.1 yards per carry. DeMarco Murray, 0.8 yards per carry. And yet he gets the touchdown and saves his fantasy week. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, three catches for 33 yards, plus nine yards on the ground, plus a touchdown. He's an RB2 in fantasy. The most embarrassing RB2 in fantasy you're going to find was DeMarco Murray in week 12. Something's wrong with Marcus Mariota, but I'm going to continue to play him as he works it out. And I'm going to continue to play Corey Davis as he works it out because Corey Davis, yet again, led all Titans receivers in targets. Corey Davis only has one full game play this year where he wasn't the target leader. It's shocking. Four out of the five full games played as a professional, Corey Davis has been his team's target leader, including two 10-target games as a rookie who missed half the season with a hamstring injury. So I am a Corey Davis believer. I thought he was one of the most talented wide receivers to come out of college in the last five years, and he's being fed at the professional level as a rookie. So I will continue to push the button and play Corey Davis for the remainder of the season. I'm going to ride him straight into the ground. You can't play anyone on the Colts. You can't. If they can't throw the ball with success against the Titans, what are you going to do? You can play Frank Gore as a low-end RB2 option, and that's it. That's it. You can't play T.Y. Hilton with any confidence whatsoever. Chester Rogers again out-targeted Dante Moncrief. I mean, you can start to ask the question, who's more valuable in Dynasty, Chester Rogers or Dante Moncrief? That's not a ridiculous question to ask. <laughs> and I'll leave it there. Now with the Chiefs, woo! Alex Smith is Alex Smith. He was 23 for 36, 199 yards, 5.5 yards per attempt. This is the Alex Smith we've always known. He had a handful of outlier performances to begin the season. That wasn't the Alex Smith we've seen. The Alex Smith we have that features a significant sample size is this Alex Smith. This is the, this is the real Alex Smith. What you're seeing right now is the real Alex Smith. I don't know the Alex Smith we saw earlier in the season. I've never seen that Alex Smith, and we will never see that Alex Smith again. He was an aberration. Those were aberrant performances that will never be seen again, and the sooner Andy Reid turns to Patrick Mahomes, the better. But he won't, because so many NFL coaches make decisions from a position of fear, just soaked in fear. 
fearful of the second guess, paralyzes leadership and leads to this comical risk aversion that we see week in, week out in the NFL. And because of it, the Chiefs will continue to start Alex Smith and lose games because of it. They may miss the playoffs because they continue to start Alex Smith. That's the hidden cost of starting Alex Smith is you never get the benefit of comparing Alex Smith's performances to Patrick Mahomes. Games Patrick Mahomes would have won, like last week against Buffalo, we'll never know. And therefore, Andy Reid cannot be held accountable. And Andy Reid is one of the more creative coaches in the league. One of the least fearful. <laughs> Imagine that! Still, riding Alex Smith, straight to 9-7. and seven. And hey, the Buffalo Bills, look at Zay Jones. Zay Jones levitated himself off the field. That was a fun gif on Twitter. He commanded 10 targets. It's possible that Zay Jones overcomes adversity, a challenging start to the season. Most rookie wide receivers fail, but the Buffalo coaches continue to start him. They continue to feed him in the passing game. And it's worth noting, Zay Jones was a monster producer at East Carolina. He was a compiler, still a monster producer. 37.1%, 72nd percentile college dominator, and a 79th percentile or above. And all of his workout metrics are in the 79th percentile or above. Like across the board. He has a 119.7, 88th percentile Spark X score. This is an athlete who the Buffalo Bills insist can play football. So Zay Jones commands your respect. He insists you respect that 10 target performance. And I do. I respect it. And I am going to be playing Zay Jones in DFS when the price is right. Now, the Panthers won again. Cam Newton, he is the most enigmatic quarterback in the league. I don't know how he does it. I don't understand why he goes 11 for 28. <laughs> I have no answers. So all I care about are those 12 targets, seven receptions, 108 yards for Devin Funches. Hallelujah! And Robbie Anderson, woo! 146 yards and two touchdowns. I love that we're seeing what Jerome Simpson would be if he rose to the top of a wayward franchise's wide receiver depth chart because that's what Robbie Anderson is. He is Jerome Simpson if Jerome Simpson were not a drug dealer. Like, if Jerome Simpson were clean, he would be Robbie Anderson. And that's just a fun thought experiment that we now see personified in the form of Robbie Anderson on the New York Jets. Chicago Bears are funny. They scored three points. Jordan Howard, seven carries for six yards. <laughs> Sadly, though, poor one out. Trey McBride cut today. Commanded six targets and then was cut. Something's wrong there. But Alshon Jeffrey, oh, another nine targets for Alshon Jeffrey. Raise your hand if you're not interested in the number one wide receiver in one of the NFL's signature prolific offenses, the Philadelphia Eagles. And then what if I told you that number one wide receiver was also one of the most impressive size-speed specimen athletes in the league? Well, that's Alshon Jeffrey, so it's okay to be excited about Alshon Jeffrey. And Russell Wilson, whew, another high-floor game for Russell Wilson. Didn't play well. The team didn't play well around him. Constantly running for his life, still two touchdowns throwing, another touchdown running. It's Russell Wilson. I mean, what a pleasure. If I could meet one professional athlete in person, it would be Russell Wilson. I know he wouldn't say anything, he's a robot, but my God, man. And Paul Richardson led the team in targets again. Slowly but surely, Paul Richardson is establishing a lock 
on the number one position in a wide receiver depth chart. Because Doug Baldwin's a slot receiver. His slot percentage on playerprofiler.com is over 50%. They want Doug Baldwin in the slot. So that leaves Paul Richardson as the primary outside receiver. And Russell Wilson has an innate ability. His ability is second to none across the NFL. I mean, no one's better than Russell Wilson at his job. And one of his jobs is getting the ball downfield accurately. And Paul Richardson running a 4-4 with a 44% college dominator has the ability to get downfield, secure deep passes, make big plays. If you're Russell Wilson, why not target Paul Richardson? And I'm waiting for Matt Breida to break out. I know Carlos Hyde has been sustaining fantasy production in the passing game. Another 13 targets for Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde has over 70 targets this season. (laughs) How is that possible? I don't know. I don't know. But if they go to Jimmy Garoppolo, that means less targets for the running backs. You're not going to have a quarterback simply obsessed with checking it down to running backs in C.J. Beathard. So the switch to Jimmy Garoppolo is encouraging. It's great for Marquise Goodwin, Trent Taylor, Aldrick Robinson. It's great for all the receivers. Bad for Carlos Hyde. And I have to think that Weeks 15, 16, 17, like what the Giants are doing, the San Francisco 49ers want to see what they have in Matt Breida. And if Matt Breida can somehow, someway be installed as the starter and absorb five-plus targets a game, he's much more explosive than Carlos Hyde. Getting that kind of volume, he could sneak into the top 10 some weeks. So I'm stashing Matt Breida on the back of my bench on all my playoff rosters in both redraft and dynasty. And the Broncos once again, oh yes, Devontae Booker out-touched C.J. Anderson two weeks in a row now. And who's he get in week 13? The Miami Dolphins play Devontae Booker this week. And in Oakland, I think you have to play Seth Roberts. Amari Cooper has an ankle sprain and a concussion that looked vicious. Seth Roberts could be the number one receiver, not Corderell Patterson. You know, Corderell Patterson is not capable of operating as the primary option in a passing game. I just refuse to believe that. Neither is Johnny Holton. So if I had to pick a receiver to lead the Raiders in targets, if Amari Cooper is out in week 13, it would be Seth Roberts. And I don't even think Seth Roberts is good. I just think it, he's a more adequate possession receiver than Corderell Patterson. <laughs> That's the high praise I have for Seth Roberts. Now, the Saints, what, do you, what can you say about Alvin Kamara? You can't say anything more, except it's not sustainable what he's doing. I hope you enjoyed those four straight top five performances. Won't last. With the Rams, I'm also tempering expectations of Sammy Watkins. He's not the primary receiver in that passing game. Just like Devontae Parker is not the primary receiver in Miami, Sammy Watkins is also not the primary receiver in LA. It's slot receiver Cooper Cup, just like it's slot receiver Jarvis Landry in Miami. If there's great weather and a backdrop of palm trees, then that football team probably features a slot receiver as its primary option in the passing game. Keenan Allen, Jarvis Landry, and now Cooper Cup. This is the week to play Cooper Cup. Oh, yes. Sammy Watkins will be the most valuable decoy, the MVD in week 13, absorbing all those Patrick Peterson snaps, allowing Cooper Cup to command 10 to 15 targets underneath against the Arizona Cardinals. Love, love, love Cooper Cup this week. And the Jaguars, look at those receivers. Look at D.D. Westbrook. 10 targets. Uh-oh, it's happening. It's amazing what you can do when you're a Blitnikoff winner and you're getting snaps. Shocking that D.D. Westbrook 
is teed up for success in the second half, but it's under the radar because it was only 41 yards. So your league mates might not fully comprehend D.D. Westbrook's ceiling the rest of the season. Those same drones think that Leonard Fournette is an elite running back. He is not. Remind me again why the Jaguars drafted Leonard Fournette with a fourth overall pick when they could have had Marshawn Lattimore. (laughs) They already had TJ Yeldon on the roster and Joe Mixon, who's better than Leonard Fournette in all phases, was available around later. Explain this to me. Anybody? No? Can't? Okay. And look at Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald just emasculated by Rambo. Jalen Ramsey plus A.J. Boye, Rambo. Because earlier you're thinking, oh, well, uh, Marvin Jones can slay Xavier Rhodes. How much do the cornerback wide receiver matchups really matter? Well, they matter. Exhibit A, Larry Fitzgerald, three receptions on eight targets against Rambo. You don't play wide receivers against Rambo, period. No exceptions. Maybe Antonio Brown. Okay, one exception. And look at Antonio Brown. 10 catches, 169 yards. Nice. And two touchdowns. And Le'Veon Bell doesn't score, doesn't matter. Scores 30 fantasy points without a touchdown. That's a riddle. That is a riddle. How do you score 30 fantasy points without scoring a touchdown? (laughs) I don't know. How do you do it? Well, you start by catching 12 passes for 88 yards, then you rush for another 95. (laughs) And then you can get to 30. He is the best. You look at Le'Veon Bell, you look at Antonio Brown, now Juju Smith-Schuster itching to come back. My question is this. How do the Patriots make the Super Bowl if they're in the same division as the Pittsburgh Steelers? Because the Pittsburgh Steelers also have an above-average defense. Now, I know they allowed 28 points to Brett Hundley. It was a fluky game. Look no further than that Jamal Williams screen pass for a touchdown. The Packers enjoyed a lot of right play calls at the right time. Except Jordy Nelson. Of course, it couldn't be Jordy Nelson. He can't help Jordy Nelson. Three catches for 11 yards. We called Jordy Nelson droppable three weeks ago. (laughs) We're not changing that position. And Jamal Williams is just a guy. He is the ultimate just a guy rookie running back. If you have an opportunity to trade Jamal Williams in Dynasty on the heels of this two-touchdown performance, please do so. I would trade him like he's on fire, like he's burning a hole through my computer. But not Antonio Brown, because Antonio Brown's going to play until he's 40. And I think that he can eclipse Jerry Rice's NFL career receptions record. He can do it. Even according to a conservative estimate, he can do it. Why? Because the West Coast, because of the West Coast offense. The West Coast offense that Jerry Rice helped to popularize, emphasizing voluminous short passes. Well, now all the NFL teams leverage the West Coast offense. And that's one of the reasons why Antonio Brown's season reception totals year by year have been so high. And now he's on a trajectory to exceed Jerry Rice's career receptions record in the year 2026. And how can the Patriots beat this team? How? How can they do it? Because Bill Belichick is famous for taking away the team's most dynamic playmaker. Well, go ahead and take away Antonio Brown. Le'Veon Bell will kill you. Go ahead and take away Le'Veon Bell. Antonio Brown will kill you. That's if you think you can take those players away. I don't think you can take those players away. So they can't take those players away even if they try. The Patriots do not have that 2001 Patriots defense that was able to contain Marshall Falk. They don't have that kind of personnel. So I don't think the Patriots will be able to stop the Steelers. So I think the Steelers should be the favorite to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl, not the Patriots, because of those three guys, Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. I think that trio is unstoppable. I mean, explain to me how that trio can be stopped. 
Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Especially Antonio Brown. Get out of here. But in one of our listener leagues, the first listener league, in fact, the inaugural Roto Underworld Listener League for patrons only, we had a team bench Antonio Brown to get the first pick overall. Because the first pick overall goes to the team with the best record that didn't make the playoffs. So he intentionally missed the playoffs to get the number one overall pick assumed to be Saquon Barkley. And you can imagine my displeasure upon learning about this chicanery. (laughs) Oh, was I mad. And we'll be launching more patrons-only Dynasty Leagues this winter. But get started now. Go to patreon.com, search podfather, or go to playerprofiler.com forward slash podcasts and click learn more about the patron program. Become an official buzzard or minion. You get a t-shirt or a hoodie, you get an extra show per week, access to our forums, access to listener leagues. And if you ever bench Antonio Brown, I will never forgive you.